is an Odyssey original. This is KNX In-Depth. I'm Chris Seaton's in today for Rob Archer. And I'm Charles Feldman. President Biden getting ready for his State of the Union address tomorrow night. The president could use it as a way to informally start his 2024 re-election bid, but he needs to convince people in his own party. A new AP poll shows just 37 percent of Democrats want Biden to run again. So we'll go in depth into the president's sagging popularity in his own party. On the other side, wealthy Republicans could be getting ready to get behind any GOP candidate not named Donald Trump. And Balloon Gate threatens to blow up relations between the U.S. and China. A local theme park is getting ready to open up a ride, but not everyone is happy with how the testing has gone so far. Some people are calling the attraction fat-phobic. We'll go in-depth into why that accusation is being made. The zombies in the new HBO hit show, The Last of Us, are infected with a fungus. We'll look into whether that could really happen to us. Real-life findings might have you wondering. Yeah, you don't want to be infected by anything, let alone a fungus. fungus. I don't, I don't, you know, I don't want to be infected by a fungus. Pass on that. Yeah, we start though with uh, (laughs) President Biden, the State of the Union, and Democrats. Brad Bannon is a political communications expert and Democratic strategist. He just wrote an opinion piece in the Hill on this very topic. Brad, thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me on the show. So, uh, State of the Unions, right, it's usually a time, unless we're in a war or the beginning of the pandemic, when presidents like to talk about their accomplishments. And uh, the State of the Union, they usually like to start off saying it's pretty good. My guess is that President Biden is going to say something like that. Uh, The economy isn't doing badly. Job rate, uh, unemployment is down. More people are getting jobs, that sort of thing. Um, But do Democrats want him? Well, uh, uh, you know, I did see the Washington Post-ABC poll that showed only 37 percent of Democrats said they wanted him. Uh, And I think that that reflects the fact that many Democrats uh, would like to have an alternative to Joe Biden. But the reality is uh, no one has even signaled, uh, no Democrat has even signaled interest in running against Joe Biden. I think Joe Biden is going to be the Democratic nominee. And when all said and done, I think, you know, 90 or 95 percent of those Democrats are going to end up voting for him. You know, Joe Biden often says, don't care, compare me to the almighty, compare me to the person I'm running against. And Joe Biden may not be particularly uh, popular in the abstract, but when it gets down to Grant brass tacks in a race against another uh, uh, race against the Republican, uh, those Democrats are going to vote for him and they're going to in large numbers. Well, well, let me ask you this. With the new poll numbers that are just out, how much pressure might the president face not to run again? And if he does, who might it come from? Well, honestly, I think, you know, there are clearly some Democrats who don't want President Biden to run for reelection. But you know, I like to think I follow these things closely, especially Democratic uh, Democratic uh, politics. But I don't know one Democrat uh, who is, uh, you know, thinking of challenging them. Uh, I think in not, the not, not even not even Governor Newsom. No, not even Governor Newsom. Governor Newsom has said uh, he said last year that he would not run against Joe Biden. 
Uh, and I, you know, I take him at his word. And I don't think any other significant Democrat wants to take him on either. But, you know, Brad, there was another poll. We were referencing the uh, poll that shows that 37 percent of Democrats say that they want uh, that they don't want Biden for a second term. But there was another poll uh, in the past uh, month, I believe, that said that uh, all voters. So this is, I think, a combined Republican and Democrat uh, population didn't want to see a rematch in 2024 of Biden versus Trump. So. It looks like the American population, if not perhaps the hardcore members of both parties, kind of want to move on. Well, the reality, I you know, I think the, you're right about the polling. It's pretty clear. I think uh, many Americans would prefer uh, a different uh, matchup between a uh, other than a Trump uh, Biden rematch, uh, and they may get it too. I think uh, while there's no Democrat in the uh, in the uh, picture running against the president, uh, there are probably about a dozen. Uh, potential uh, Republican candidates who are serious threats to Donald Trump, the most prominent being uh, uh, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. So honestly, I don't think they're going to get a Trump-Biden uh, rematch. I think they're going to get a match between uh, Joe Biden and some other Republican. All right. Brad, thank you again. That's Brad Bannon. He is a political communications expert and Democratic strategist. Right now, though, rich Republicans might be coming up with a plan to take down former President Trump in the primaries. The New York Times reports the donor network created by the billionaire Koch brothers is getting ready to pour money into the presidential primaries next year for the very first time. With us to explain what this might all mean is Eric Mitchell, a Republican strategist and president and CEO of Life Flip Media. Eric, thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me on. So the Koch brothers have been accused of many things over the years, but getting involved in presidential primaries has not been one of them. Why now? Well, it's an interesting race, right? We had President Trump who was in, and he's controversial. Let's all face it. We, the, the left can't stand him, and there's, it's just an interesting race. They're getting because well, there's actually some good candidates whose names keep popping up, right? We, we haven't got everybody out there. Obviously, President Trump announced back in November but you're hearing Nikki Haley is going to announce next week. And, of course, everyone's hopeful is Governor DeSantis out of Florida. So they're getting into the race because it's not just the anti-Trump side of the house. It's There's actually pretty good candidates. Uh, DeSantis has an amazing following and actually has a good chance in 2024. So getting into it makes sense. They had great success with President Bush. So I, I see this as a great thing for them, and they see that there's a lot of opportunities and there's a lot of things Weighing on this, and I think the country wants to see some other candidates in there besides the usuals that we're expecting in 2024 with Biden versus Trump. Well, Eric, let me ask you this. Where do you see the Coke money going to uh, maybe a, a Trump-like candidate, somebody like a Ron DeSantis, or would they choose somebody more mainstream, a Nikki Haley or a Larry Hogan? I see it. I know Nikki Haley's probably the perfect segment for them. She's more like a, a you know the Bush side of the house than a DeSantis, but DeSantis is the clear second choice, right? You, that's the great debate on social media. You could go on if you're a Republican and you're going to say who you like. If you say DeSantis to Trump, people go, no, it's not his turn. He has to wait, you know, till 2028 
And do they jump in on that? Because DeSantis is a fan favorite because, hey, he's a veteran. We haven't had a president that's been a veteran to make these tough choices, and we need that. We saw this over the weekend with a balloon that spent the week over our country, and it just this great debate to bring it down. That's something different we're not used to. It's a tough military choice. We need a vet to make these kind of yeah. easy choices. Uh, I mean, to me, as a veteran, I'm like, that's a pretty cool thing. You need to bring that down. Growing up, we weren't flying planes over and saying they identify as not U-2 spy planes. They were U-2 spy planes. Yeah. So <laughs> we, we need that. Yeah, let me ask you something. I want, I want to go back to the Koch brothers for a minute or two. Mm-hmm. Um you know, rightly or wrongly, they have been vilified over the years, uh, mainly by, I, I suppose, Democrats and maybe some independents for being kind of, you know, sinister forces operating and manipulating politics behind the scenes because they have, you know, lots and lots mm-hmm. of money. Uh, but in this case, it's kind of ironic that if they succeed by using their money and all of their behind the scenes connections, to, in effect, uh, get Donald Trump out of the picture, might they become hailed as heroes, not if perhaps by Democrats ever, but by large numbers of Republicans? I see that as that's a great question, by the way. I see that as a possibility, a very strong possibility, because you have to keep in mind, Donald Trump is President Trump is not raising the same amount of money as he was raising in 2016 when he was first running. The money's just not there. Is it because of the age? Let's face it. He's going to be the exact same age as the current president when he was running for president in 2020. Remember, he made all those attacks at Biden because of his age. And then you look, Nikki Haley is younger. Ron DeSantis is younger. I'm just picking on those two. They are younger. And a lot of the new voters, if you're going and talking to the just becoming of age, they're looking at the younger voters. So the Koch brothers could, at the end of the day, look like heroes because they could go challenge the Trump money that we know he can's a powerhouse for raising money as a hero to a lot of the Republicans that are just done with the circus and want someone like a Ron DeSantis that's a little bit of Trump and a little bit of a little bit of everybody or a Nikki who's more traditional Republican and be and be a hero on that and, and so that we can also have another pack out there that's raising that gets the Republicans who aren't who are kind of dis you know just, just disenfranchised with this extreme right that we have you know kind of bring you know bring the ship back to the middle again that we need in the gop well donald trump likes to promote himself as a very smart (laughs) billionaire uh how much of a hit would this be without the Koch brothers money in uh in his his account to help with his campaign oh obviously uh, president trump loves himself and he'll tell you how great he is anytime (laughs) we just let him i mean he's the best at it uh obviously he's he, I think he's scared because you look how he's always going after Ron DeSantis, Governor DeSantis. And this is going to hit in his pocketbook because this is easy money, right? This having this guaranteed fund, and you're seeing a lot of the big backers, the big billionaires and the multimillionaires that are normally there, they're not putting their money on President Trump. They want to put it elsewhere. This is a hit for him because it shows the support's not all there. And the Republican Party isn't just... MAGA, as everyone likes to run around saying, there's a lot of Republicans. I know President Biden likes to say we're all in the same boat. We're not. You know, yeah. there's a lot of people. Who, I'm, I live in Texas. I could tell you, not everybody is running around screaming MAGA. We, we're Republicans. We're conservatives. Yeah. We defend the Second Amendment. But we want a good candidate. And I think the Koch brothers doing this goes, there's a, you have to have money to play in this game. We all know. And I think it screams out loud. We're going to give you another option besides the one 
so you don't feel like you're stuck with that candidate. Yeah, interesting uh, couple of years ahead of us. Eric, thank you again. That's Eric Mitchell, Republican strategist. He's president and CEO of Life Flip Media. Right now, though, tensions are inflating between the United States and China because of the suspected Chinese spy balloon that floated across the United States before being shot down in the Atlantic Ocean over the weekend. China says the U.S. seriously damaged efforts to stabilize relations between the two countries. Uh, Shezad Kazi, managing director of China Beige Book International, joins us now. Uh, thank you. Uh, first of all, pun intended, how do tensions deflate here? Who needs to reach out first? Well, thank you for having me. Um, I think uh, this is a time where we get to see almost zero public interaction, probably, and a lot more back-channel conversations. Uh, look, spy games go on all the time. When spy games become, when they're caught and they become public, they quickly become an embarrassment for the spire and sometimes for the people in charge of the country being spied. You know, one of the Interesting questions that has been asked since this thing became apparent earlier last week. I know we've asked it of some experts here is for a spy operation. It doesn't seem to make sense because, you know, people all across America would simply look up and go, oh, there's the Chinese spy balloon. So why do you think the Chinese who are certainly more clever than that? would opt to use a balloon that almost everyone was able to see to spy as opposed to a satellite, which nobody would have seen. So I think, you know, this type of surveillance takes different uh, approaches and methods. So let's let's establish the fact that the Chinese aren't the only ones using surveillance balloons. As a matter of fact, the United States has surveillance balloons of its own. And uh, what many experts uh, have gone on to talk about over the last few days is we uh, can still claim that our technology, our surveillance technology, is still superior to that of uh, uh, China's today. So this is uh, definitely an approach that is taken several times. Let's also remember that this is not the first balloon. Uh, under the last administration, we've had three such balloons that were subsequently caught. Um, I think what happened this time is that this is an operation that perhaps went wrong a little bit in the sense or, or some errors or mistakes were made on part of the Chinese Communist Party uh, where it became visible. The whole idea was that it's not supposed to be seen by the naked eye by people on the ground. It's even difficult sometimes for uh, others to catch it. Uh, so so I, think, I think that's the only reason we got to see it this time and we haven't in the past. I've heard some analysts say that this could have been a test by the Chinese government, a test of the Biden administration to see how they would react. Your thoughts on that? Well, I, I, I hope not, because testing a country where you've got the Secretary of State, uh, uh, one of the most senior dignitaries that, that can be doing a visit, the first visit by a U.S. Secretary of State since, I believe, 2017. Uh, so the timing on this just couldn't be any worse if this was intended as a test. I think what we've seen here is a surveillance operation that uh, just happened to uh, go wrong and and, and, and get, get caught. Uh, and, and now is, is actually the test begins. The test is unintended. So if if you were on the uh, Chinese side, if I can ask you to try to think the way they might be thinking now, what do you think they are thinking now? Look, I think they're thinking this this is not good. This is this is embarrassing. This is bad. And I'll tell you why. The Chinese economy has just reopened after two years of COVID imposed lockdowns off and on. They've just, according to their own data, believe it or not, 
they have gone over the COVID uh, uh, peak, the case peak over there. Uh, they are out of the spring festival holiday. They are getting ready to come back to life. The economy that has been under deep distress for the last year plus is supposed to come roaring back this year. They want positive investor sentiment. They want a tamping down of geopolitical tensions. They want everybody focused on what a great economic story there, Xi Jinping is going to, to get out of 2023. Uh, and this is just an unnecessary embarrassment and an unnecessary distraction, that too, at an inopportune time. So if I was a Chinese side, I would be very upset uh, and uh, heads would roll, uh, no pun intended. How would Chinese officials have reacted if an American balloon was over their nation? Look, I think they would have taken a very aggressive stance, uh, uh, you know, had it been something that was caught by the international press and reported they would have had no choice but to aggressively confront the united states if it was something they were able to look at catch and take out before the press caught wind i perhaps it would come up in the in in the quieter negotiations and conversations uh, uh the party may not want to advertise it because it's certainly not a show of strength if anything it's a show of weakness so it depends on the on the context under which this would have happened. But let's talk, talk about something very concrete. We had the Speaker of the House, the former Speaker Nancy Pelosi, land into Taiwan. And what you saw with the Chi- was the Chinese side attempt aggressive actions. Now, now, nothing really happened at the end of the day. And some might even say the Chinese side looked weak at the end of the day. Uh, but we've seen that type of aggressive posturing before. If Kevin McCarthy, the Speaker of the House now, and, and of course, uh, rep from your state, uh, goes on and uh, takes a Taiwan trip, which I, 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 he most certainly wants to and will probably, um, I think the Chinese side will have a far more aggressive reaction. All right. Shazad, thank you again. That's Shazad Kazi. He is the managing director of China Beige Book International. This is KNX In-Depth. Chris Eden's in for Rob Archer. Today, I'm Charles Feldman. Well, Universal Studios is getting ready to open up Super Nintendo World to a lot of criticism. It's all because of the uh, Mario Kart ride. Some people are hitting up social media accusing the ride of being fat-phobic. Yeah, that's because a standard cart can only accommodate people with a waist size of 40 inches or smaller. With us to explain why a restriction like this would be put in place is former Disney Imagineer Ryan Harmon, who is now president and chief creative officer at Zeitgeist Design and Production. Ryan, how are you doing? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. So uh, let me, before we begin, uh, let me read a quick note that we got from Universal. Uh, They sent us a statement, and they say that we're always listening to our guests and seek to balance their needs against strong focus on the safety of our attractions. And then Universal goes on to tell us we have a company-wide task force actively working with the community to make changes that can help them safely increase access to our experiences. That is what Universal is telling us. Now, if you could tell us why a ride would be designed to begin with that might be restricted to people of a certain heft. Sure. There's there's always many factors to be considered, and it's always a balance between safety being number one, ergonomics, the ride dynamics and the vehicle design, and a restraint system. If you think about it, a lot of rides, family-friendly rides, don't have restraint systems. This one does, many do. And when you're dealing with a restraint system, it has to be able to hold the smaller kids and the larger people. So it's not just a weight issue. I was surprised by your quote about the um, the size of the waist because 
even basketball players, tall people have the same problem because you cannot have a restraint system that allows a five or six year old to ride safely as well as a seven foot tall basketball player. It's just not possible. You could have a separate vehicle that could hold taller or larger people, but that would get into a lot of operations issues. People would have to be divided by their size or weight, and it would create a lot of issues in terms of capacity. It would take longer to load and unload those vehicles. So what Universal is doing is, is an industry-wide uh, concern. Everybody thinks about it, knows about it. And um, they've found the best way to do that is to consider, do they want smaller kids or larger people to ride when it's a family-oriented attraction like Mario Kart? They do probably skew a little more towards allowing the whole family to ride, the little kids too. And because of that small span between maximum and minimum, it skews a little lower. And so the larger people... Um, cannot ride safely. And they do put a vehicle out in front of the queue so that people can sit in it, try out the restraint system, and see if it's worthwhile for them to wait in the line. If not, then they don't have to wait. Ryan, when you start seeing things like fat phobic showing up online, how much of a marketing nightmare could this be for Universal? They have to be acutely aware of just how difficult this might be for them from a marketing standpoint. Yeah, I think it's misunderstood. I, I wouldn't call it fat phobic. I, I think it really is universal trying to be safe and allow the maximum amount of people and families to ride this attraction safely. And so uh, hopefully the facts will get out that it's not any kind of uh, disparagement against larger people. It's really just trying to allow families to ride together and uh, and give them a very safe experience. I mean, I'm sure this topic would have come up with uh, in the early days, for example, when Disneyland and Disney World were designing their rides. Was it not a factor then, too? Uh, well, a lot of the Disney rides, if you think about it, Small World, Pirates of the Caribbean, even Haunted Mansion to some degree, uh, Jungle Cruise, a lot of their rides fit everybody. You can even take an infant on the majority of those rides because the dynamics are minimal and a restraint system is not necessary. So when you get into rides like Space Mountain, Big Thunder, uh, certainly the Matterhorn, which opened in 1959, that's when these issues did begin to happen. As a population, we were probably not to the size we are today, uh, but tall people obviously did have an issue back then. Um, but yeah, I, I, it's a shame it's become a, a marketing issue because it really is the intention of these owner operators to create a very safe ride for the majority of people. All right, Ryan, thank you again. That's former Disney Imagineer Ryan Harmon, now President, Chief Creative Officer at Zeitgeist Design and Production. You're listening to KNX in Dev along with Charles Feldman. I'm Chris Seedenson today. Now, if you are not yet familiar with the popular video game turned HBO show, The Last of Us, it is about a zombie apocalypse. The zombies get infected by a fungus that then controls a person's brain, and it mutated due to warming temperatures, and so it now, this fungus, mm. can infect 
humans. Mm. Yeah, that's fiction. But here's real life new research. There is new real research uh, suggesting warmer temperatures uh, are leading to dangerous fungal infections in humans. Dr. Peter Papp is, is an infectious disease specialist uh, at the University of Alabama, Birmingham. Uh, Dr. Pappas, thank you for joining us today. Is it possible fungus that was harmless to humans before could in fact get us sick now? I think most people um, believe that that's possible. And by the way, thanks for having me on. But yeah, I think that that's been a concern as temperatures slowly rise, that uh, organisms that haven't been particularly dangerous to humans could emerge and become, um, you know, more virulent. It's been a that's been a real concern for some time among some of our colleagues in mycology. I, I am curious. Have you seen the this show, The Last of Us? You have. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm laughing because I was uh, interviewed by the Wall Street Journal uh, last week or two weeks ago, and and it and it really prompted me to see two or three episodes. And <laughs> okay. So uh, I'm I'm laughing because it's kind of silly. All right. But and and, and just to be clear, but, but I yeah. want to be clear with with our listeners. Uh, sure. So there is no fungus that can infect a human being as it does on, on this program and turn no. people into zombies. So we get that out no. of the way. Yeah, let's get that out of the way. I think that's that's, that's not going to happen. That is, that okay. is safe to say. No, but you have to you know, you have to understand that the, the writers really got this idea from a real life situation. And you probably know about the ant fungus, but. You know, yes, but, but our listeners might not. So, so briefly tell okay. us about that. Oh, sure, sure. So there years ago, um, they discovered an organism that at that time was called cordyceps. Uh, it's now called Ophiocordyceps unilateralis. But what it is, it's a real life fungus that infects uh, certain ants and spiders in tropical areas. Uh, the ants, you know, ingest the spore or they inhale it. I'm not sure how they actually come in contact with it, but it's one or the other. And uh, gradually the, you know, the fungus germinates and then it takes over the body and it, and it, you know, secretes a chemical that um, many scientists say is kind of like a hallucinogen. The ant then, you know, crawls up onto an area as it's dying, it crawls up onto an area uh, above a, a, you know, the, the nest, uh, typically a leaf or something. And then it'll, um, you know, put its um, its uh, jaws, latch its jaws into the vein of a leaf where there, you know, continuous flow of nutrients. And gradually, as the ant dies over the next, you know, several days, the uh, fungus then, you know, proliferates in the body. And and uh, and then, as a last event, these spores explode from the from the dead corpse and spill down over the, you know, the the ground and and uh, the nesting area of these other, you know, of its relatives, and uh, thereby kind of keeping the cycle going. Oh, that guy, so, it can't happen to us. <laughs> no, thank, yeah, thank goodness. Thank goodness. Well, let me uh, ask you this. Uh, well, go ahead. Yeah. Finish your thought. Oh, no, that's all. I was just saying, thank goodness. Okay. No, that, that's, that's not the way it happens. Okay. In uh, real life. For people driving in their cars right now who might be a little bit concerned, is there any reason for concerns when it comes to serious funguses in humans? Well, I think that I think that you you know there is some some truth behind this this um, all the hype and you know I think the biggest uh, the the greatest example and there's a bit of it going on in Southern California is Canada Oris. 
uh, Canada is a really common uh, commensal or, you know, kind of a normal organism, but Canada aurus is an organism that has really co-emerged um, in all, really all over the world, starting in around 2010. So in, you know, in Asia, in the subcontinent of India and in Africa, Europe, and uh, South, uh, North and South America, this organism has kind of emerged um, simultaneously, more or less, um, and it's the same species, different strains, so then we know that they are really emerging in different geographic areas, but um, the only real explanation for this is not, you know, humans moving from from let, geographic area to geographic area, but rather... Let, let me get in. I want to get in one more question because we're going to run out of yeah, time. But, yeah. but, but, but very quickly, are fungal infections by and large more difficult to deal with in humans than bacterial yes. ones? And we are having problems, as you know, even with bacterial yeah. ones now. But they are. Why? Oh, yeah. Why are they that much more well, difficult? Just, there are fewer drugs. There are fewer compounds, uh, many fewer compounds, really. Uh, and there's and the pipeline for new compounds is relatively um, is sparse. Uh, there just hasn't been a a ton of focus on uh, multi-drug resistant fungi, simply because you know the the antivirals and the antibacterials get a lot of the attention. But antifungals and or the need for antifungals is is pretty dire as well. So yeah, I mean, and and you, you will hear much much more about this. Uh, in the coming weeks and years, because um, there really are a dearth of good antifungal compounds, and and yet the challenge is is getting is getting worse. Okay. So yeah, I think that you know the the time has come to start paying attention to fungal infections in humans for sure. Dr. Pappas, thank you again. That's Dr. Peter Pappas, infectious disease specialist, at the University of Alabama, Birmingham. It's a good thing we're not ants because uh. it's horrible what happens to the ants <laughs> exactly. infected by this fungus. We, we don't like blow up and start spewing spores. Right, right. We don't. Thank goodness do for we? that. No, well, we not last time I checked anyway. Okay. That'll do it for today's edition of KNX In Depth along with Charles. I'm Chris in for Rob today. We're back again. Do it all again tomorrow.